0: Yeah. That's worth clapping for. It was a lot of fun. Um, I don't know if any of you got a chance to uh, interact with Alfred and Seneca's son who was dressed up like the old man right there at the beginning. I was so proud of him. He never left character all the way through. He was like leaned over and came by the donut place where Megan and I were giving away donuts. I'd like a donut, please. It was perfect. He was awesome. Anyway, thank you. Well done. 100,000 pieces of candy next year and 3,000 people. We're going to pray for no rain. That trunk or treat seems to be a rainy thing for us every time. But uh, good job, church. Hey, hello. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Glad you're here. Glad you're online. Glad you're here in the building. Uh, I got a special treat for you next Sunday. Uh, I have a close friend, and author who has uh, been traveling the country, talking about his books, and uh, we have a chance to have him here next week and interview him. Uh, I went over to his uh, place where he works and interviewed him and caught some of it on video just to show you uh, what
1: you have in store next week. So let's just watch this. Uh, my my uh, dedication is for every man who is tired of not living. Right. Don't give up. So right. it's not that you men don't want to live. We're tired of living a life that's not fulfilling, tired of just only being masculine males, uh, men who only live lives as being the protectors and providers. You know, even as in the Christian church, it says, well, we're priests, protectors, and providers, and it stops there, nothing else. And so when we're called to be all things through Christ, we can't because we're confined by masculinity. Right. So it's imperative that we learn how to be nurturers again, compassionate again, patient again, long sufferers again you know things like that when you can't really express emotions outside of masculine ones sadness seems like weakness right you understand depression seems like weakness not being strong at all times seems like weakness and to me being a man of the most high which is scary about that is that the power of christ is perfected through our what weakness right and so here it is we being weak being vulnerable uh, taking naps or whatever is considered not a man, then what is a man? So if you can't live up to it, you say, "Well, I don't want to be here." So as men, if we're not taught how to be verbal processors or how to process anything that we're dealing with mentally, it starts coming out in other ways. And men, when I wrote "Cry Like a Man," they're like, "Man, I don't cry, though I'm not. I don't really. I don't know about how can I cry." I say, "Oh, you cry. You just cry the wrong way." or right. through abuse, pornography, whatever.
0: Stop that. I'm not ready. You did that last time. It's all your fault. So anyway, so that means you guys are going to have to set your alarms a little bit early, but it's also when we change our clocks so you get an extra hour of sleep. Yeah. Get your kids here. If, if your wives are on retreat, don't. Take it as a day off. Get your kids here. We have a special week planned for you. It's going to be great for everybody. But uh, Jason has written a new book. His uh, Cry Like a Man book uh, was a nationwide bestseller. Uh, This one is also on the bestsellers list already. Uh, Here's the fascinating thing he's been invited to be on Dr. Oz, he was on TD Jake's show, and he was invited to be on Joe Reagan's show. If you don't know anything about him, he's a self professed atheist. We got a chance for Jason to go and spend some time there and talk about Jesus uh, on his show. So he's really having an impact all around the country with his books, and he's got a message. It's not just for men. uh, It's for anyone who is a man or knows a man. Okay? Pretty good. Anyway, anybody want this book? Anybody interested in reading it? You got to promise to read it. You read it? All right. Cheers. (laughs) All right. So, we're in the last week of Philippians, believe it or not. This is week eight of the series that we've called Relationship Matters. We've talked about how to have healthy relationships. We've talked about the necessity of healthy relationships. Uh, but here's what I want to just reiterate, and I've said this a lot through this uh, entire series, but there is too much in these four chapters for me to preach through in eight weeks. I can tell you that I'm going to cover the last chapter this week. I could easily do an eight-week series just on the last chapter of Philippians. There is a lot of re- really good stuff in this. So my encouragement to you is don't move on until you've begun to take hold of the truths in the teachings of Philippians. Don't move to the next thing. Keep reading Philippians. Keep reading it in your small group. If you're in a D group, the next four times you meet, read a chapter. From Philippians. If you do have a home study with your kids or family, read Philippians again. Go back, listen to the sermons, find a good uh, person that you like, but stay in Philippians until it begins to bear fruit in your life. There's just a lot here that would radically change our relationship with God and our relationships with one another if we would just take hold of this and live it out in our everyday lives. Uh, it's just packed full of marriage advice. It's packed full of, of advice on how to navigate school, how to navigate your work life. Uh, it's just it's a great book and I just don't want us to move on too quick. Uh, all right. This is my last week to remind you of the four keys. I told Meg when we started this series that my goal would be that by the time I finished this series that you would all remember the four keys. That when you pick up Philippians a year from now, you'd be like, oh yeah, that was those four keys to a healthy relationship. So if you remember, the first key is humility. The idea of not thinking too highly of yourself, right? The idea of, of actually considering the views of other people above your own. Imagine if that was just one thing we put into play, how different our interactions on social media and, and when we talk about politics and we talk if we actually considered the views of other people above our own. What if we considered the needs of other people above our own? But that idea of bringing humility in your in your relationship changes everything. We talked about honor. Honor is the idea of seeing value, seeing value in everyone and Protecting people's reputations with the words that we use. We honor people by being careful what we say about them to other people. The third one is encouragement. Looking for the good, looking for what people are doing, recognizing it, and calling it out in other people. This is a huge one for us. If We would just uh, would get out of the mindset of focusing on what disappoints us and the people around us, and focus on the things that they're doing that bring bring encouragement to it. And then the last one is prayer. And this is what I would say: nothing. Nothing will radically transform your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your boss, your your relationship with your coworkers, your classmates. Nothing will change that more than if you are intentional about praying for them. Remember, God, please change my husband. Is it what we're looking for? right it's It's the idea of praying specific prayers of blessings, specific prayers when you know what they 're going through when you know what they 're going into, and praying that God would be with them, and that if you just do that, it will radically transform your relationships. It will make a huge difference. So now we're going to look at the very last chapter of Philippians. So grab your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four. Hopefully by now your Bibles are falling right open to Philippians. And Paul is using this uh, last chapter to give his final remarks, if you will, these these final exhortations. But all of these exhortations that we're going to talk about today, all of them relate to having a a good attitude or having a, a good disposition. And, and I think we could all agree having a good attitude has a huge effect on your relationships. Or said differently, a bad attitude can have a huge effect on the quality of your relationship. Can we all agree to that? So today we're going to talk about attitudes. So stand with me as I read Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes, therefore my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy And crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I treat Yodia and I entreat Sensi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. these things. What you have learned and received and seen, what you have, sorry about that, what you have learned and received and have heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity and now that I'm speaking of, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how it is to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my troubles And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit of that increase to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lord, I thank you for this book. I thank you for this series. I thank you how you've used it in the lives of our people. I thank you for the letter I got even this morning, Uh, from someone just talking about how they put some of this into action and it helped them in their relationship with one of their kids and how that is so encouraging to me that uh, your word is going forth and people are taking hold of it and applying it. Lord, I pray that you would uh, move today, that you would speak today, that you would continue to speak. I thank you how you used the worship. thank you how you used Evie's words, the passage that she read, the idea of throwing our crowns before you. Lord, help us to... Uh, hear and obey. I pray that you would speak a word to each one of us, a personal word, and that we would leave this room, that we'd leave this broadcast different than we came because we've interacted with the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I said this at the outset, but this chapter, at least the portion of it that I'm going to cover, is all about Attitude. Attitude is your way of thinking, right? It's, it's a way of responding to, to life. Attitude is reflected in our body language, right? Like, like if you have kids, you kind of know that. Sometimes you can see when they're copping an attitude just by the way they're sitting or looking or folding their arms or cocking their head as they look at you, right? Okay, thank you. Right? It, it's our frame of mind, it's our point of view. And what I want you to hear is that a right attitude, a good attitude, makes a, a huge difference. And, and here's the deal: the message that I'm going to preach this morning it's for all of us. So some of you have already gone to this place where you thought to yourself, "Boy, I wish my husband was here," <laughs> or maybe you think, "Boy, I wish my son was here." Right? You're already transferring the lesson to who really needs it the most. And I am here this morning to ask you to shift your attitude. And realize that this is for you. This is for me. This is for every one of us. So listen to this and apply it to you. And allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit needs to do with whomever has already come to mind. I know this is about attitude, but it's about your attitude and it's about my attitude. This is for all of us. Just a quick reminder that this is really one of the threads that runs throughout this entire letter. Philippians 2, 5. Paul writes these words. He says, have this in mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. I memorize a lot of Philippians, but I memorize this passage as your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, your attitude. So he's talking about attitude throughout this letter. And then I love what he says in 2.5. He says, which is yours in Christ Jesus, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you have said yes to Jesus, if you have said, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, then you have the Holy Spirit in you, right? You have the same Spirit in you that raised Jesus from the dead. You have the ability to take everything I'm talking about today and apply it to your own lives, not in your own strength, Matter of fact, if you see this as some kind of self-help talk, it's not going to work. It's yours in Christ Jesus. Because you have the living God at work within you, you can take hold of the very things that Paul is teaching us in Philippians. You have the Holy Spirit, the comforter. You have the Holy Spirit, the counselor. So regardless of your age, if you are a student or if you are a retiree, uh, you can take hold of this in Christ Jesus. So it's interesting when I first started to put this sermon together, I started to look at the word attitude and see if there was like a different word that I could use than attitude or is there a better word than attitude and I began to look at the root words of attitudes and something that surprised me that I didn't know is that we get the word attitude from a Greek word that means to fasten and I spent a lot of time thinking about that and the truth of the matter is our attitude is a result of those thoughts right, or those beliefs or those deeply held values that have been fastened to our mind, right? These are the things that we believe, and those things that are fastened to our mind affect the way we respond, the way we don't respond, the way we act, or sometimes the way we don't act. And so this chapter, chapter four, I believe is all about an intentional process of removing those things that have attached to our mind and then putting up the things that need to be, and and I use the word reattaching. Maybe you're attaching it for the first time, but maybe you've done some of this before, but there's a continual process of attaching or reattaching the right ways of thinking, the right ways of understanding, the right value systems that affect our attitude. So we're going to talk about the attributes of an acceptable attitude. There's six of them, six attributes of an acceptable attitude, and the first one is rejoice. Look at verse four. Verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, just to make sure you heard me, I will say rejoice. The word rejoice means glad. It actually means exceedingly glad, and it's a call for each one of us who know Jesus to have a favorable disposition, right? It's calling us to delight in the grace and the favor that we have with God, we are to fasten to our minds this reality that we are in Christ. You think about earlier on in the letter when Paul says, I, I strive to do this to, to take hold of what God has for me because Christ has taken hold of me. He has fastened to his mind this idea that he is in Christ. He is with Christ. Christ has taken hold of him. Right? Your eternity, if you've said yes to Jesus, is sealed. You, you are going to spend eternity with Jesus. And anything that happens in this life is but a momentary trouble compared to the eternity and paradise. And that reality ought to cause us to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. To be joyful, to be glad, regardless of circumstances. And here's what I want you to hear. This isn't about faking it. I grew up in what we call the praise the Lord church. Maybe you did too, where we just said that about everything. Not that that's a bad thing, but even as a kid, I was like, I don't think they really mean that, right? Words are words. This isn't about faking it. And here's the deal. It's not about living in denial either. You can be in a difficult circumstances. You can experience difficulty and still rejoice in the Lord always. Think about this. Jesus rejoiced always. And Jesus is described as a man of sorrow, well acquainted with grief. We are complex humans. We are able to have sadness and rejoice at the same time. We are able to mourn and, and, and celebrate in the same breath. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, which I know is pretty familiar, but I'm just going to blast through and read some of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. This is from Matthew 5. Jesus is talking. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, there's that word, and be glad, be exceedingly glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You know what the word blessed means? Used nine times in these Beatitudes. The word blessed means happy. It means exceedingly glad. Rejoice because yours is a kingdom. Rejoice because you shall be comforted. Rejoice because you're going to inherit the earth. Rejoice because you will be satisfied. Rejoice because you will receive grace and you will receive mercy. Be blessed. Be happy. Be exceedingly glad because your reward is great in heaven. This is the idea of the eternal perspective, not seeing the dot but seeing life through eternity. If you want an attitude that's pleasing to God, the first attribute is to be a person that rejoices in the Lord. The second attribute comes from verse five. Look at it. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And again, I memorized this in the NIV. The NIV says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Reasonableness, gentleness. second attribute of the right attitude is gentleness. This is neither a fight nor flight response. That's typically how we deal with conflict. We either power up. That's my problem, personally, is that's how I tend to go after conflict, is I become bigger, I become louder, and I use a lot more words. I power up over people, and then I win the argument. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just telling you that's my natural human fallenness way of dealing with it. There's other people who go into flight mode. They just avoid it. They go into, they, just, they don't want to deal with it. I'm not going to talk about it. Forget it. We're not going to go there. Fight or flight. This is neither of those, this idea of gentleness or reasonableness. It's characterized by, listen to this, an eagerness, characterized by an eagerness or a readiness to forgive. An eagerness or a readiness to extend grace, to think the best of others. Just imagine how this one thing would, would affect the conflict in your life. It wouldn't escalate, right? It wouldn't become more and more volatile because you're, you're meeting it with reasonableness and with gentleness. Philippians 2.3 says, in humility, consider others better than yourself. I was talking to Penny about this series this week. And she said something that really, uh, it really hit me hard. She said the church, and she was talking about grace, but she was really talking about the church universal, the the church in North America. She said the church is in a crisis of suffering because we've given ourselves over to a spirit of offense. We're We're not eager to extend grace. We're eager to be offended. We are looking for opportunities to be offended. We are expecting to be let down and we are always ready to respond in our offense. I see this in marriage all the time. When I sit with couples, I see this over and over, just waiting for him to screw up, just waiting for her to disappoint me one more time, just waiting to be offended. We need to unfasten The spirit of offense. And we need to become people who are eager. Now get this what it's saying. Eager to extend grace to people. Looking for opportunities to offer forgiveness to others. Why? So that you can show them the forgiveness and the mercy that God has shown you. So that you can be a purveyor of grace. We need to be gentle. We need to be unoffendable. We need to be purveyors of grace. Forgive like you've been forgiven. Be gracious as your heavenly Father is gracious. Love others in spite of their mistakes, the way Jesus loves you in spite of your mistakes. All right, we are to be looking for opportunities to extend grace to others. All right, rejoice. Gentleness, third attribute comes from verse six. Look at it. It says, button everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. The third attribute of of an attitude that's pleasing to God is prayer. And it's important that you see that Paul is attaching prayer to, to being the antidote for addressing anxiety. He says, don't be anxious, rather Pray. Now I find it fascinating that over 2000 years ago, anxiety was a chronic human condition. It is still a chronic human condition. Anxiety is normal. Anxiety is part of what it means to live in a fallen world. So if you are suffering from some anxiety, be it mild or crippling anxiety, I don't say this to cause you to feel shame. I'm saying this to make you help you to realize that it's probably more common than you even realize but you don't have to accept it. Right? It doesn't need to be a part of of who you are. It doesn't need to be a permanent condition. Continue to apply this passage with the expectation of healing in your anxiety. It's yours in Christ Jesus. He's already Paul's already said that. Here's what I would say, allow your anxiety to be a signal for you. Allow it to be like a a warning light that goes off that's telling you that something is out of whack. Something somewhere needs to be addressed and, and allow it to be an invitation to lean into God more. right? It's an invitation to pray. Your anxiety is an invitation to go deeper with God, to learn to walk with more confidence and more faith in your life. Here's what I want you to hear. This is not a quick fix formula. It's an invitation to stay focused on what matters, to begin a process of unfastening what's been fastened to your mind that needs to be taken down and then replacing that with the right thoughts, the right ways of behaving. And here's what I want to say. I know this is hard stuff. Interesting. I finished this message Friday morning and I went home And I had this just ridiculously long customer service sort of phone call where I got hung up on like three times by the automatic person who would take me through a million steps and in the end be like, I'm sorry, we can't help you. Goodbye. And then you're like, "Ah!" right? And I'm getting more and more stressed out because it's costing me money that I can't get any solution to. And my grandkids are in the house and they're running around. And I'm getting more and more agitated at this automated voice thingamagoober. Right, and and I'm starting to snap at my grandkids, right? And then last night I went to bed, don't know why, but I spent most of the night thinking, like my brain going all over the place, couldn't sleep. Here's what I'm telling you, I get this, this isn't easy stuff, but it doesn't mean we don't still apply it, right? It doesn't mean that I didn't have to stop in the middle of all that and say, look, Doug, are are you gonna apply the very thing you're preaching this week, right? Or are you just gonna get into a little bit of your own funk and yell at your grandkids and be grouchy with your wife, right? I get it, this is like an everyday Discipline, paying attention to what's going on in your mind and applying it. But the passage is saying it's yours if you want it. If you've said yes to Jesus, it's yours in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 actually tells us that if we are willing to pray about everything, that that the fourth attribute becomes sort of a a gift, if you will, of, of part of our attitude. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice, be gentle, prayer, and peace. The word peace there in the Greek is erne. In the Hebrew, it's the word shalom. You may know that as a Hebrew greeting where they would commonly, as they're meeting people, say shalom. Or when they're sending people off, you know, we say goodbye, they would say shalom. And here's the deal. It's the idea of peace that goes beyond circumstances. It's got nothing to do with a lack of conflict. It's got nothing to do with a lack of conflict at home, a lack of conflict at, at work, a lack of conflict at school. It has nothing to do with world peace. It has everything to do with you being able to have a peace that passes understanding regardless of the circumstances around you. It's an inner peace with God, right? It's a connection of a being with God and God being with you regardless of what's going around you. And Jesus said he came to give us Peace, my peace I give you. The scriptures say Jesus himself is our peace, right? He said, come to me, all you who are weary and tired and heavy burdened, and in me you will find rest, in me you will find peace, right? This is a gift, something that that God is trying to give to us regardless of our circumstances. Now, here's the deal. Those first four attributes all require this, this underlying understanding that you can trust God. It requires that we we remind ourselves, we affix to our minds the idea that God is good and that God is up to something good in our lives and in our community and around the world, that God is always up to something good around us. And when we believe that God is good and we believe that God is up to something good, suddenly it changes our ability to navigate. It allows us to rejoice always. It allows us to trust in the circumstances. It allows us to have peace regardless of what's going on. Look at verse 8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, anything that's excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So the, the next attribute is focus. What you think about matters. Where you allow your thoughts to linger affects your ability to respond to God in a way that pleases God. One author I read said that this is a form of meditation, and and I guess that's true. It's kind of a form of, of meditation, but it's a little bit different. We all find times in our lives where we can't turn off the thoughts right, where we're having the imaginary conversations. You ever have imaginary conversations when that person says this, I'm going to say that. And then and when they say this, I'm going to say that. And you're exhausted because you've had those hours of conversation and the person hasn't even said anything yet, right? And we all get into this trap of playing the what if game. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if? And you you can't sleep or you can't rest because all of this is going on. That's your brain, right? That's your brain thinking about the things that that your brain doesn't need to be thinking about. Now see, in the Eastern uh, religions, there's an idea of meditation where you empty your mind of everything. You just go into this blissful place of nothingness. I don't know how that's even possible because there's always a lot going on in my brain, right? The idea of actually removing all those thoughts. But I like the idea of replacing Right, replacing those thoughts, paying attention to what you're thinking about, and saying, No, I'm not gonna think about that. I'm gonna think about what is honorable, I'm gonna think about what is pure, I'm gonna think about what is just, I'm gonna think about what is excellent, I'm gonna think about what is praiseworthy. You need to unfasten the unhealthy thoughts, and you need to refasten the healthy thoughts. What's true? It means what's reliable. Right? What's what's honest? Honorable means noble. What is just could be said. What is the idea of justice? What is pure means without blemish. What is lovely, that which pleases God. And what's commendable or praiseworthy. You know what this is a description of? Jesus. It is a description of the person of Jesus. Sometimes the best thing you can do is reflect on the person of Jesus. Sometimes the best thing you can do when you can't get your brain off of those things is sit down and read the Gospels. Pick up Matthew or Mark or Luke or John and read it and and just ask God, show me Jesus in this. Show me who he was. Show me his character. Show me the way he loved. Show me the way he moved towards people. Why? Because he is true and he is honorable and he is just and he is praiseworthy right? And we replace those thoughts. Amen. You can't sleep at night. Get up and read the Gospels with the intent of seeing Jesus. I think it's important to say, like, this this could so easily just be like religious mumbo-jumbo. Look, you have to think about work, right? It's... You just have to, you, you have to think about that test that's coming up in school and study for it, right? It's okay to think about what you're gonna have for lunch. Just for the record, I'm having strawberry waffles and I've thought about it a lot today because I like strawberry waffles. The question is, what's consuming your mind? And you know the difference. It's one thing to think about it. It's one thing to plan. It's another thing to stew and to become anxious and, and anxiety-ridden because something is weighing on you, the imaginary conversations and the what-if. So I'm, I'm not saying, like, this isn't some, some like, psycho mumble jumbo where we just, you're going to have to think about life. It's okay to figure out the directions to the place you're going, and you have to think, well, that's not true or noble. It's like, there are necessary things to think about. What is consuming your mind? Are your thoughts centered around the word of God and the person of God? Is every decision you make gone through a filter of well, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to say? How does, how does God want me to respond to this person? The last attribute, look at verse nine. It says, what you've learned and received and heard or seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The last attribute of an acceptable attitude is obedience. You gotta do The right thing. You cannot willfully disobey while focusing on Jesus and being prayerful. You get this? Your intentional movement towards sin is going to automatically derail all of the other attributes. What I love about this is these attributes, they're both prescriptive and they are protective. Let me explain what I mean. You cannot practice these attributes open your computer, and stare at pornography. You can't be focused on Jesus. You can't be prayerful. You, you, you can't have this, this idea of, of wanting to, to have the right things in your mind. Think about what is pure and lovely. You can't do those things and at the same time be staring at images that you know you shouldn't be staring at. Right? You can't practice these, these attributes and rage on your wife. Right? You can't practice these attributes and cheat on your taxes. You can't practice these attributes and cheat on a test at school, right? You can't practice these attributes and and willfully do what God, it's, it's prescriptive. It helps us to walk faithfully with God and it's protective. It keeps us within the boundaries of what God has called us to. And look what happens when we do it. The peace of God will guard your hearts. The peace of God will be with you. The whole chapter, Philippians 4. We're being called to be gentle, not vindictive. We're called to be prayerful, not anxious. We're called to focus on the good and, and not all the bad. And we're called to do the right thing before God. These are the attributes of an attitude that's pleasing to God. These are the attributes of an attitude that will make your relationships flourish will cause your relationships to thrive. I understand that it takes two people to have a great marriage. That if each of you in, in this room, if your marriage needs work, if each of you will, will work on, on the very things that we've studied in Philippians, that you will humble yourselves, that you will think about the four keys, that you will think about that, that your marriage will thrive. But here's what I want to tell you. Even if your spouse doesn't, if you do, your relationship will be better. Right, It takes two to, to get to where God wants you to be. But even if you are the only one in your home who is practicing this, it will change the, the, the tension that exists in your relationship. Don't wait for the other person to get it right before you begin to get it right. Lead the way in your home. Amen. Last reminder. Paul writes in this letter, he says, not that I've arrived, not that I've taken hold of all this, but I'm striving to. He says, I'm reaching for it. I am going to keep moving towards it. We are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. I have not figured this out. I did not sleep well last night because I couldn't shut off my brain. I get it. You got to work on this stuff. But the whole point being, are we even willing to strive for it? Are we even willing to lean into what we have in Christ Jesus and live more and more like Jesus? Because if you are, your relationships are going to flourish. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this book, thank you for this letter, thank you that it has been preserved throughout history for us to see the word of God, to study the word of God, and to be moved towards action by the word of God. I do pray, Lord, that you would help us as a mosaic to live more and more like your son Jesus, that we would begin to reflect the image of God more and more, that we would be transformed over and over and over We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The people that prayed for you before the service, this is what they heard. God wants to provide protection to someone who feels alone. If you're just having a great sense of loneliness, we'd love to pray for you. Jesus is inviting someone to come to him. If you don't know Jesus, just come on down. We'll tell you all about him. An encouragement for someone to join community through a C-group or a D group, We would love to help you to get connected. We would love to help you to walk faithfully with Jesus. Uh, We have people that will meet you down here and pray with you. Or if you're online, you can just call one of these two numbers and someone will be there on the line to put you into a private prayer appointment. Thank you for being a part of this series. And I look forward to being with Jason next week. So make sure you're here for Jason Wilson. And throughout this week, be praying for our ladies who are going on the women's retreat. The women's retreat. Oh, now you're not doing it. Bless you.